Spill it is true stories told in front of an audience. Everyone has a story. Are you ready to spill it? Welcome to Spill It. I'm your host, Josh Campbell. Today's stories are from the 2023 Spill It Grand Slam, held on November 17th at Black Lodge Video. Today's episode features stories from Victoria Johnson, Frank Jemison, and Katrina Jones. Follow us on social media and check out our site, spillitmemphis.org, for updates on 2024 events. So, the last thing I heard my ex-husband say to me was, I don't want to fight for you. In fact, I'm tired of fighting for you. And obviously, that was the moment that I knew that my marriage was over. But me being me, I don't care about your fight. I care about how I respond to things. And so to fast forward the story, at the time we were living in Japan, and I was teaching and working and literally living the life that I had prayed for, and I made the decision to come back to America to start things over, even though I had no idea what that would look like. And when I got home, my family thought I was crazy because the first thing I did was check myself into therapy. Totally not opposed to it because one of two things were gonna happen. I was either gonna cut him or I was gonna fight the women that he was with. I chose myself in the middle of it all. And my therapist told me, I need you to start writing. And I told her that was a terrible idea because I'm a natural writer, it's literally my job. I will write you into a story that you wished you were never in. But I decided anyway, I'll do it because it's a part of my healing process. And so because we only have limited time, I wanna share three women that I decided to write to. And I apologize if your name is this in the audience, we are just changing the names for legality reasons. So we'll call the first woman Amy. I decided to tell her, do you know what a tsunami feels like? Do you know what it feels like to rip up a foundation of a marriage in a way that you can never relay it again? Do you know what it feels like to be barren and cold when it comes to love? Do you know what it's like for love to leave you only for you to try to find it again? Do you know what it's like to feel broken? I would assume that you do because your brokenness has seeped into the spaces that were supposed to protect me. Obviously, she could never answer. So I decided to write to the next one. We'll call her Leah. And I simply asked her, do you understand that the moment you told him you loved him, you literally took the breath away from me? The man that I decided to sleep with was no longer mine. Do you understand that you took away the chance for me to find love again because now I'm stuck in this cyclical cycle of healing? Do you know what that feels like? Do you wanna know what that feels like? And to the last girl, the one he chose, the one he decided to marry not even 30 days after me, we'll call her Tina. The only thing I could say to her was, you now have a daughter. I pray that your daughter is never wrapped up in the middle of your foolishness. I pray that she understands that this isn't a moment for someone to come and save her this way. I pray that you too find healing in the midst of all of this. I actually pray more for the child than I do for you both.
because she has to come from a broken home that was never a true foundation. I didn't quite know what else to say to these women because I understood that the moment my marriage ended was a new beginning for Victoria to resurface. And I would love to tell you that it's been easy, that I've been kind to myself, that I've been whole, but I haven't. It isn't that much like healing. We find broken pieces of ourselves and sometimes we still seem to get it together. So I've learned in the middle of it all that I get to make the choice. I get to come back home to myself and I can forgive over and over and over again. And it's interesting because in a space like this, you'd think you'd come to just tell a story. But I think I wanna come to remind you all that the moment you choose forgiveness is the moment you'll start living again. Thank you. I've met angels twice in my life, and I've learned two things about angels. Um, the first is that they never look like you would expect, and the second is that they give you something that you desperately need that you didn't think was available. The second time I met a ghost, he gave me this, or I see if he ghost, the ghost story got in my head. The second time I met an angel, he gave me this medallion, and he said, this will keep you safe and then he basically disappeared. But the first time I met an angel was um, outside a psych ward in, El in a small hospital in El Bolson, Argentina. And how I ended up there requires a little bit of explanation because when my wife and I got married, when we were 22-year-old babies, uh, we decided we were gonna spend the first year of our marriage uh, backpacking around the world on a shoestring, and we ended up um, after a few months in southern Argentina, in Patagonia. Um, and while we were down there, I kind of developed two little bumps, bug bites, pimple-like things on either side of my hip. I didn't think much about them, so we kept going on hikes and trekking around mountains and visiting glaciers. Uh, but after a, a little bit of that, those little bites or pimples or whatever they were had gotten worse. In fact, they turned into giant pussing sores about this big around, so, so much so that I knew that we needed to get some medical attention. Uh, so we uh, went to the nearest hospital, which was in El Bolson, Argentina, which was about a, a two-day bus ride from where we, were, we had been over dirt, broken dirt roads, which I can say is in, uncomfortable anyway, but particularly uncomfortable when you have giant open pussing sores on your hips. Um, and we ended up uh, setting up our tent in our campsite outside El Bosson, hobbling into the hospital, sitting in the ER waiting room with just one other person uh, who was a guy who was in a trench coat asleep in the corner. And we waited there for several hours um, with no one else there except for him. And the only excitement was an hour or two into it, his stomach started to move kind of like alien. Uh, but rather than an alien emerging, four puppies who must have been asleep next to his body spilled out onto the floor. Somehow he didn't wake up. 
and they came over to us, and we kind of scratched them behind their ears, and they nibbled on our fingers, and he, he noticed they, he woke up and noticed they were gone and scooped them up and walked out, and a little bit later, we got called back, and the, the doctor asked to look at my wounds, so I pulled down my pants and showed them off, and she looked at me, and she asked when I'd been to Bolivia or the Amazonian rainforest, and I said, I haven't ever been to either of those places, and she so looked at me skeptical and went back to go get another doctor who came in and looked at my hips and said when have you been to the rainforest or Bolivia? And I said, I really haven't been to either, I promise. Um, and they didn't really believe me. And I had to say, in the intervening time, I'd also taken photos of these and emailed them at the internet cafe to my mom, who's a doctor, who emailed them to another doctor, who emailed them to another doctor, who's an infectious disease doctor, who was giving a lecture at Harvard. And at the end of his lecture, I kid you not, he put the pictures of my upper thigh and kind of side butt on the huge screen behind him. And all of the doctors debated uh, what had happened to my legs, and they thought that I probably had been to Bolivia or the Amazonian rainforest. Um, but I hadn't, and I finally convinced the doctors uh, in El Bolson that I hadn't been there, and they decided, well, we'll just uh, patch them up and give them some antibiotics. So they get, assigned the nurse to clean up my wounds, and he made, thought the funniest joke in the world was that I looked like I'd been on, on a spit in the barbecue because I had one hole here and the other one came out here. Uh, but we left the emergency room, wounds clean, a bottle of horse pills of antibiotics, and we thought the saga was over. But unfortunately, there was one more chapter, because that evening we cooked on our little camp stove like we've been doing, and we got water out of the mountain stream like we've been doing, but something was different, because that night we woke up with food poisoning. And I can tell you, food poisoning is bad anytime, but food poisoning in a small two-person tent in a pitch black campsite on the other side of the world is worse. Because we were, and I think the delicate way of putting it is blowing it out both ends. Um, and doing that in a tent is rough because when you open the tent flap to throw up and then have to, a few minutes later, crawl over that throw up in order to run with your butt cheeks clenched to the latrine that is pitch black dark and you can't see the spiders but you saw them before and you know it's covered in spiders. And then do that and your wife has to do that repeatedly all night long, it's pretty awful. And so when the sun finally came up, we were empty in every way imaginable, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And we decided we, we needed to get into town. So we, I had quit throwing up at that point. She was still throwing up. And we tried to walk the mile in the town, but she couldn't make it. So we flagged down a car and hitchhiked into town. And they dropped us off at the hospital, and we ended up back in the emergency room waiting room. But this time, because she was still throwing up, because she was throwing up actively in the trash can there, we got seen a lot quicker this time. Uh, and they gave her a shot in the butt that made her stop throwing up. And then we hobbled to what was my previously scheduled follow-up appointment with um, the doctor about my weird pussing sores. Um, and uh, we got to the other side of the hospital, and we sat down. And I don't know if I've ever been so low in my life that I was exhausted, I was tired, I felt unloved and unlovable and a thousand miles from home. And there was a man who came up to us. And I'd, we'd seen this man the last time we were at the hospital and we actively avoided him because he was smelly and dirty and at least half crazy. But he looked at us and there was no avoiding him now. And he looked down at us, and then he gently took my wife's hat off and kissed her on the head. 
real gently. And then he stepped over in front of me, and he put his arms around me and picked me up and hugged me. And he kept hugging me, and he kept hugging me, and kept hugging me until I didn't feel dirty and unlovable anymore. I felt loved and connected and supported and safe. And then he set me down and he kind of tussled both of our hair and he walked away. And I knew that man was an angel because he gave me something. First of all, he didn't look like what I would expect an angel to look like. And then he gave me something that I desperately needed, that love that I didn't think was available. So we went into our follow-up appointment, and they gave me a different cocktail of antibiotics, and we hobbled out of the hospital across the street to the park there. And I, and I, I went to go look for, uh, I, need, I knew I needed to go look for saltines and Gatorade and a place with walls and a bed to stay for the first time in a few weeks. Uh, my wife was too weak to go, so I had to leave her in the park, laying on the ground, curled around her backpack. And a guy came up and said, is, is she okay? And I, and I said, uh, well, she's sick. And he said, I'll sit with her. And it was the same guy who was wearing the trench coat from the night before um, with the puppies. And he sat down next to her and one of the puppies came out of his hands and started licking her in the face until she smiled. Thank you. those people that has a really ridiculously strong work ethic. I've only been fired from a job one time. And it was actually the best thing that's ever happened to me. So many years ago, I was working at a law firm in Atlanta, and I get a call from the managing partner. He says, meet me in the conference room. I go to the conference room, been in the conference room many times, didn't think anything of this meeting get there, managing partner, and his second-in-command right-hand man are the only two people there. Sit down, and he's like, hey, billable hours aren't looking good. What's going on? You haven't been working. We've got work to do, but your hours aren't up to par with everybody else here. Okay, I'm here every day. I ask people for work. Nobody gives it to me. What am I supposed to do? So he's like, well, um, what is it? Is your morale low? Uh, do you just not like working here anymore? Have you, are, you, are you looking for another job? So I look at my managing partner who makes well over a million dollars a year and I look him dead in his face and I say, well, Dave, everybody here except you is looking for another job. And then I look at his second in command, right hand man, and I just give him the nod. Because I'm friends with his legal secretary and I know he's been sending his resume out. So, <laughs> second in command, turns beat red, managing partner gets all flustered. Okay, well, um, so here's what we're gonna do. 
We're going to give you six months to get those billable hours up, and we're going to cut your pay by $5,000. Okay. It's fair. We done? Okay. I leave. Wait till the coast is clear, and I leave for the rest of the day. I don't have any work to do, and I got six months. So they're not going to get rid of me today. So <laughs> fast forward, a few months later, we get a really big client. Clients like all hands on deck. Everybody needs to work. So I'm cranking out the work, getting the billable hours up. And <laughs> miraculously, I'm able to make the billables for the year by the end of the year in December. First meeting was in January. So almost a year later, six months has gone by. They don't get rid of me because they need me. Get another call. Managing partner, come to my office. So I never get this call. <laughs> come to your office, okay. Get to his office, second in command, right-hand man's there, and another black woman attorney is there just to be the token person and so there's no discrimination argument going on. And so they tell me, hey, we're trying to make some cuts. We're gonna have to let you go. We got a severance package for you. We're gonna pay for your benefits for six months, yada, yada, yada. So I sit there and something clicks. And at that moment I realized I was free. And I was like, okay, thank you. I get up, I walk to the door and I turn back around and I was like, no, thank you. And so everybody looks all confused like, wait, what's going on? So I go back to my office, pack up the few things I have because I've been taking my stuff home throughout the year anyway. So I got one box and one really big picture in my lunch bag. So I call my friend whose office is next door and I say, hey, come take a walk with me. And she's like, what are you talking about? Take a walk with you, I'm next door. Come over. She gets to my office and she's like, why is the picture down? What's with the box? What are we doing? I was like, take a walk with me. I only want to make one trip. I explained it to you in the elevator. Explained everything to her in the elevator. She's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm going to go home and take a nap. I don't know. <laughs> you got work to do. And so she's like, no, like, what are you going to do? I said, I just got handed a severance package. I got money in the bank. I got a 401k. And what they don't know is when they weren't giving me work, I was working on the side, so I got plenty. I got a little side gig going on. And she's like, oh man, nobody knew. I was like, I mean, you don't tell everybody everything. So, get home, 45 minutes later, she's calling me on the phone and she's whispering, they just sent security to your office. They're all confused, like how's she already gone? I'm gone because I've been taking my stuff home all year long. I know, I know, I've only been fired once, but I'm not a dummy. So meanwhile, one other person also got let go that day and she's not as bright as I am and it took her the whole day to unpack her office. She's crying up and down the hallway and security had to let her out. And so my friend was like, I don't understand. How could you just go? And it's like, I was like, I went out like a boss, okay? That's how you leave and I said, I've been gone from this building a week, but I've been gone from this job a while. And that was that moment.
Thanks for listening to Spill It. If you're interested in having an event or telling your story, reach out to us at spillitstories at gmail.com.